Heavenly Father, once again, we invite your presence. I pray that you clear our minds from all distractions and may we truly grasp what we're about to endeavor to learn. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. I am going to have to borrow someone's outline again. I'm sorry. Just from the last class. I don't have extras, but we'll go through it verbally. Is this from the current one? Last class. Thank you, thank you. Oh, you're taking notes. I don't want to stop you from doing that. However, um, all right. The roles and functions of a prophet. Last time we met, we discussed what a prophet actually is. You know, because often when we think of prophets, what's the natural thought? Future tellers, yeah, prophecy. But we saw that it's not always prophet, prophecy, right? It's not future telling. It's just simply put, what is a prophet? A spokesperson for God, someone who speaks on behalf of God. Um, and so here are some roles and functions of the prophetic gift. Okay? For example, in Ephesians 2.20, it tells us one of their roles and functions is to lay the foundation of the church. And there's a lot of um, antagonists or critics of the Seventh-day Adventist church saying, oh, well, you know, your prophet set your church up and you can only do whatever she says because she set the church up in trying to discredit us that the prophetic gift was used to found the church. However, if there was a true prophet and they did not want to help set up the church, would they be doing what the Bible says their role ought to be doing? Do you know what I mean? If the Bible says this gift is given for that reason, if the prophet chose not to do that, then we have to be suspicious. Not if they're actually doing what the Bible says they ought to be doing. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And you'll see as we get into some of these accusations, a lot of the accusations are solely based on not wanting the prophet to be a biblical one. Yeah, come on through, come on through. Hey, come on through. I guess we got more. Come on through. Yes. Sorry? Oh, yeah, yeah. Feel free. Feel free. All right. I forgot, you know, how it is to deal with school students where they ask if they can leave the room. You know, when people grow up, they don't ask. They just start walking. You're like, where are you going? You know? Like, can I please be dismissed? Yes. It's nice. All right. Another, another um, function or role that God gave prophets to do. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your scriptures, turn to Ephesians chapter 4. We'll spend a little bit of time in Ephesians chapter 4 because this is one of the most um, crucial, c crucial um pieces of scripture this is like one of the most important places in scripture to actually understand because it describes what the prophetic gift is ephesians chapter 4 ephesians what chapter 4 and let's start in verse 11 okay ephesians chapter 4 verse 11 and it says and he himself and who's this speaking of God, all right. However, in the triune God or the tri triunity God, if we can put it that way, which God is this speaking of? The Holy Spirit, because these are the gifts of the Spirit. So it says He Himself. And once again, when it comes to the whole, the Holy Spirit's not a person. This is one of the key texts that we can use because it totally refers to Him as what kind of per as what a person, right? It says, and he himself gave some to be what? Who's reading on in verse 11? Apostles and some what? Prophets. Um, some evangelists and some pastors and some teachers. This is just one place where the gifts come on through, where the gifts are mentioned, okay? And it's mentioned apostles, prophets, evangelists, and teachers. But now the Bible goes on here to tell us why. Like, why on earth has God even given us this, okay? So we move on in verse 12 now. For what? 
equipping the saints for what? The work of the ministry. You following that? One of the functions and the role that God has given us the prophetic gift is to equip us for what kind of work? The work of the ministry. Does that mean that the spirit of prophecy is only given for pastors? No. What does this actually imply? That every single one of us ought to be involved with the work of what? Ministry. Exactly. Ministering to others. And, and, and so the spirit of prophecy, one of its functions, or the prophetic ministry, one of its roles and functions is to equip the laity, the church, for the work of what? Now, listen to some more things here that it's for. For edifying the body, what? Of Christ. What's the body of Christ? What does the scripture tell us the body of Christ is? The church. So not only is the prophetic ministry, the prophetic gift for teaching us how to be able to minister to others, for equipping us to minister to others, it is to edify the church. What does it mean to edify? To lift up, to encourage, to almost provoke unto better things. We read on. That's not the only function. We keep reading. What chapter are we in? Chapter 4. And now we're going into verse 13. What verse? Till. What's it say? Till we all come to the unity of what? Faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to a perfect man, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of God. Do you know, people say that it's impossible for God to bring up a prophet after the canon of Scripture is closed. Is prophecy or prophets in the list of spiritual gifts? When does this say, or how long will the spiritual gifts be around for? It says, until we all come to a unity of faith, essentially until Christ comes back. Until we turn into perfect beings, into the stature of Christ. If this has not happened, we ought to be expecting the Holy Spirit sending us a prophet. And teachers, and evangelists, and all the other spiritual gifts that are out there. What kind of gifts? Spiritual gifts. Please, please understand, there's a big difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. You following? There's a big difference between a spiritual gift and a talent. Some people get offended, and I hope no one here does, but I think it's important to bring out. Uh, I just like saying stuff plainly. Music is not a spiritual gift. It's a talent. And it, it's a beautiful talent. My sister, she's putting out a CD right now. Her CD ministers to me. Her lyrics, it's just... My, God's given my sister this talent where she can really truly express a sermon in a song. I love it. I'm just so proud of her for it. However, she and I did a Bible study and she understands that this is not a spiritual gift. This is the talent which God has given her. And because, like the parable of the talents, she's been working on the talent that God has given her. He's multiplied it, right? But you and I need to find what our spiritual gift is. Because these things are given to each and every one of us so that we can minister. What does it mean to minister? To share Christ's testimony. But to minister is in word, in prayer, in actions. If someone needs a hand lifting something, I ought to try minister to them and help them, right? And the prophetic ministry, which is in this whole group of spiritual gifts, is for that, right? Until when? So according to Scripture, if the Lord sent a prophet, let's say around 1844, would that be unbiblical for a prophet to show up then? No, because it tells us that this gift will be around to the second coming. You following? But let's read on now. A lot of people, um, how many of you heard of Walter Martin? 
He's passed away now. He's an evangelical. And he wrote the book, Kingdom of the Cults. It is because Walter Martin that people refer to Seventh-day Adventists as a cult. He is the man that's responsible for this. Um, according to Walter Martin, when he was um, debating someone from the Review and Herald, and by the way, as Seventh-day Adventists, don't enter into debates. There's a quote from Desire Asis. She says, Christ never defended truth. He presented it for the truth in itself makes sense. Did you follow that? She says, Christ never defended truth. He just presented the truth. And he lets the Holy Spirit convict those individuals to accept truth because it's truth or reject truth. In a debate, we try to convince them and we try to take the place of God to make them believe. Right? But how does the saying go? A man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. But Walter Martin, one of the big things that he was bringing up is, are you Seventh-day Adventists? The only reason why you believe what you believe is because you can only let the prophet interpret Scripture. And his whole theory is that even if there is a prophet, they should have nothing to do with the formation of doctrine. Now let's see what the Scripture says the function of a prophet is. Next verse, verse 14, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of what? <laughs> so one of the purposes and functions of the prophetic gift, according to the Bible alone, is to make sure that God's people are not getting deceived with false doctrine. Now, if there's a pastor out there saying, well, you Seventh-day Adventist, you're a cult because Ellen White helped form your doctrines. It's like, well, if she didn't, I'd think she was a false prophet. She actually did what the Bible says she ought to be doing. Do you following that? And do you see how in this class, we're not going to be focusing a lot on the accusations. Because you can have all these accusations. There's not that many of them. They all started with Canwright. They've just been repeating themselves through the years. And the thing is, if we just focus on truth and know what the Bible actually says, when someone brings up these kind of accusations... We can be confident in where we stand and what we believe because we've already seen truth. We don't have to defend truth. We just need to present it because in itself, it makes sense. You following? Well, let's keep going. Uh, verse 14. Um, carried, away, uh, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men in the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth, how? In love may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. Do we see a few functions and roles of a prophet? We saw a couple here, yeah? What, what, what's one? How about edifying the church? That's one, yeah? What's another? Equipping us for what? The ministry, right? And is that just pastors or every single one of us in this room? every single one of us what's another function of a prophet to edify and what about some others bring unity yes on that topic how many of you have heard of a lovely gentleman called Desmond Ford and I say lovely gentleman he really is a kind gentleman I've been able to speak to him he, he's a nice guy I just think he's deceived uh, I think you know people can be very genuine but they're genuinely deceived right um he poked some holes, or I believe, um, came up with theories which are very deceiving and cunning. If you actually look into it, they're kind of false. Well, very false. However, from that point of time, because he, 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 he poked holes at the sanctuary doctrine, which, if looked into, is the most solid doctrine out of all Scripture. It is more solid than the state of the dead. Did you guys know that? It is easier to prove the, the, the sanctuary message than it is the state of the dead from Scripture. It's more plain. It's, it's extremely plain. However, he poked holes at that. And so people were like, well, if we're wrong on that, Ellen White must be a false prophet because she taught it. And she did teach it. Why? Because it's truth. 
And like I said before, 160 ministers in Australia left. They got deceived and fell off. Rather than testing things according to the word, they looked up to their teacher. See, teachers, we have a lot of responsibility. You know, I often thought my mentors, you know, I have Louis Torres, um, Ron Dupre, um, a few other people out there that I really look up to and they, they really take care of me and try and nurture me in the right way. When I get in trouble, you know, I'm just like, look, I've never been in this kind of situation. How can I, you know, how can I help someone with this? And they help me in this. It would be troubling for me. It would really, I wouldn't say I'd reject truth, but it would kind of, it would disturb me. If, for example, Pastor Louis Torres came up and was like, you know what, Boris, we've believed lies. Someone who you look up for, who taught you saying this, it's kind of like that. And that's the influence that Desmond Ford had. He was the main teacher. He was the head of uh, theology at Avondale. All these pastors were taught by him. And then he came up and he's like, I've believed a lie. And a lot of them, even today, admit that at that time, they didn't check it out. They were just like, oh man, we've been deceived and just dropped out. Now, since this all happened in the 80s, if you look at church history before the 80s, when people respected the authority of the spirit of prophecy and its writings, the church was united. Yes, it had different stances on certain things which are not salvational, may I add? They had different opinions about methodology. However, in a, as a whole, it was united. And why would there be division when the spirit of prophecy is so clear how music ought to be played? Why should there be division when the spirit of prophecy plainly tells us, tell, plainly tells us how we ought to dress? When it tells us how we ought to act? When it tells us what's acceptable and what's not? There's not much to discuss there because we all believe in the same authority, right? How about what? When that got removed, look at the status of the church. Don't get me wrong. This is God's church and it will be to the end. Whoever, quote from Spirit of Prophecy right now. She says, whoever calls the church by the name Babylon has the spirit of demons in them. This church will never become a Babylon or a harlot of Babylon. However, from that whole losing the authority of the prophet among us, a lot of disunity happened, right? But one of the functions of the prophet is to bring, as you said, unity. It's to bring what? Unity. unity. And praise God, there's a grassroots movement happening. Young people who are like, man, I have no idea what I believe. Let's figure it out. And they're like, wow. Look at the Bible. Wow, look at, he's given us a prophet. And we're all coming together. It doesn't matter where you've been brought up or what you've got. We want to be united and finish this work finally. Older people, no offense, but we shouldn't have been here. But by God's grace, I wouldn't have to have kids and have my son say to me, uh, Dad, you should have got your job done. I really want to go home, guys. I really do. God has given us joys and blessings in this world. And one of them is being married and having children. I've never experienced that. But I, I, there's something about my mom when she sees me after a long time. She's just so joyed. However, that compared to heaven, come on, guys. <laughs> let's, let's get real. One of the functions is unity. What's another one? Knowledge of Jesus Christ. Yeah, what about protecting us from falling into false teachings, right? We said that, that it's to protect us from getting swayed with false doctrines. Um, how about to warn us of future difficulties? Others are to encourage and comfort the church, to aid in the development of Christian character, to prosper and preserve God's people. There's more throughout Scripture that we can find. However, these are some of the basics. Now, we're going to be getting into this presentation, which we're going, and we're not going to get through it all. So if you can, keep your outline. Lucky you looked at me. I probably wouldn't have got it to you. Um, does anyone need an outline? Where's, where's my helper man? <laughs> Here's my helper. So if there's anything you need, he'll help you. 
All right. This is called the law, the prophets, and the Advent movement. What's it called? Through this, we'll be looking at patterns. At what? Consistent patterns throughout Scripture. So that when it comes to our time, we can be like, oh yeah, he's going to leap then. First pattern, I like to call this when the prophets play football. Before I go in, I want to say I have no idea what's happening when American football takes place. I don't like the sport. I think it's foolishness. I used to play rugby. That's the only sport that's more foolish than football. Um, however, I went on YouTube because I, no, I had no idea about it. And my contacts are talking about it. So I was like, football play. And essentially, you got this guy standing there and he throws the ball. And then you have a receiver who catches the ball and carries it through. We see a pattern that's similar to this in Scripture. And I don't mean to be blasphemous with it. I, I, I'm just saying... If so we can picture it, okay? So we can picture. I don't mean to be dumbing down Scripture at all. However, there is a pattern which happens. And that is, you've got your long-term prophet, a short-term prophet, and the remnant. In other words, the Lord will make a prediction using a what? A long-term prophet. And toward the close of that prophecy, He'll bring up a short-term prophet, who'll receive the prophecy and declare that it's come here. And out of that movement, there will be left a remnant. A what? Let's look at this first one. Before you look, look at me, all eyes on me. Who made the first prophecy in the Bible? Enoch. How? By naming his son. His son's name, his son's name was a prophecy and what does his name mean do you know when he, dies, when he dies it shall come referring to the flood when he dies it shall come so the lord brings up this long-term prophet enoch and he makes this prophecy when it when he dies it shall come and his son's living and being the example being the living prophecy amongst people and then we come towards the flood and who does the Lord bring up? Noah. Before the flood, the Lord brings up Noah. Now, if you do the calculations, I've got the verses there for you to do the calculations. The very year Methuselah died, the flood came. The very year Methuselah died, what came? The flood. The flood happens. The Lord brought up a prophet, Noah, to lead people through it. And what was left over? the remnant the survivors remember we discussed what remnant really is the survivors abraham when we think of him do we think of him as a prophet no let's go really quickly to genesis chapter uh, genesis chapter 20 genesis chapter what 20 Genesis chapter 20, and let's read verse 7. Now therefore, restore the man's wife. And this is where um, uh, Abraham deceived the king, saying that his wife was actually his sister, which is a partial truth, but the Lord doesn't really accept partial truths. And so this is the king's response after he found out what has happened. He says, now therefore, restore the man's wife. For he is a what? A prophet. Scripture says that Abraham was a prophet. What did he predict? The captivity. In um, Exodus 15, 12 through 15. Let's read it. Uh, Genesis 15, sorry. Genesis 15. 12 through 15. And it reads, Now when the sun was going down, a deep what? Sleep fell upon who? Abram or Abraham, the same person. Um, Abram, and behold, horror and great darkness fell upon him. 
Then he said to Abram, No, certainly. And who's he? Jesus. But what's the order? Most likely here, it was an angel speaking to him. But it was really the Lord, because the Lord was just using angels the same way he uses prophets as his messengers. And then he said to him, what? Oh, I totally lost my place. My eyes were looking at chapter 14. All right. Uh, then he said to Abram, No, certainly that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs and will serve them and they will afflict them. How long? 400 what? years. And also the nation whom they serve, I will judge. Afterward, they shall come out with what? Great substance, great possessions. Abraham made this prediction. Um, who did the Lord bring up? Moses. Long-term prophet. Who was he? Abraham, the QB. He throws the prophecy. Declares the message. And the Lord brings up who? Moses. Comes in, accepts this prophecy. And what's left? The remnant. First, Enoch, Methuselah, makes a prophecy. Who does the Lord bring up? Noah. Abraham makes this prophecy. Who does the Lord bring up? Moses. Now look at this. Daniel, in the 70-week prophecy, he makes this time prophecy predicting who? Jesus Christ, right? Who does the Lord bring up? John the Baptist. He's Daniel. Sends this message. And the pattern is when the Lord declares these messages, these powerful big messages, especially when it comes to time periods, the Lord brings up a prophet to lead people through. Uh, Daniel makes this prophecy. And John the Baptist arises right on time. And what was left? The remnant. Daniel makes another prophecy. What is it? The 2300 days. Would it be illogical after seeing the pattern? And there are many more instances just because of time. We kind of narrowed down the class. Um, because of, uh, would it be illogical to think that Daniel, a long-term prophet, has made a prediction? And we know that that time comes to an end when? 1844. According to Christ's principle or method that he's using, we ought to be expecting a prophet when? Around 1844. Would it be illogical to, to look at it this way? Most definitely not. Have we used any spirit of prophecy to, de to determine this? No. no, it's been straight scripture. We're just looking at principles in how God functions. And so we have a certain time frame to be looking for a prophet. Christ is about to move into his final stage of ministry. And he's about to bring up a prophet to declare this. And what's left over? Us. Us. All right. The law... And the prophets. This is a principle I call the law and the what? Prophets. Throughout scripture, through and through and through, we see the law and the prophets together. For example, what is the most important test of a prophet? Where's that found? Do you know? Isaiah 8.20. Unto the law and the testimony. What's the testimony of Jesus? Well, it's, a, it's a prophetic ministry, right? Yep. He combines them unto the law and the prophets. If they speak not according to this, there's no light in there. How much? No light in there. All right. We are number three here in your outlines. Um, jump with me to Revelation 12, verse 17. Okay, thanks. Hey, Josh, is there any chance I can get a stand? Thanks, bro. All right. Um, Revelation 12, verse 17. This is one that I said, I think, earlier that we ought to 
at least know the reference in what it's talking about. Revelation 12 verse 17, it says, And the dragon was what? Enraged or wrath with who? Us. The remnant. With the woman and the what? Remnant of a seed. That's us. Who do what? And have the testimony of Jesus. Now check this out. Oftentimes when we speak about this, we say that the true church has two characteristics, right? In reality, there's three. The third one is the devil's angry with it. So if you go online and there's only nice stuff happening with that church, is someone angry with it? Don't you think the enemy, Satan himself, will try deface God's true people any way that he can? And by the way, these cult tactics are so lame and old, they date back to the first century. Where God's very first church, the apostles, was being called a cult. They were calling him, look at him, he's the leader of the sect of the Nazarenes. This cult leader. (laughs) People came to me and they were like, oh, you belong to a cult. And I said, so did Paul. (laughs) no we're not a cult god forbid we're biblical amen Amen. but as if the devil's not going to use any tactic that he can and by the way on the topic of desmond uh, not desmond ford walter martin that we were speaking of earlier um he met with some of our church leaders and there's a kingdom of the cults volume two the revised edition it's exactly the same except someone's missing The Seventh-day Adventist church is no longer there. However, he has placed us in the appendix. (laughs) Where he says, I have read almost all her writings, including the testimonies. Which is more than the average Adventist. He says, (laughs) I don't know whether she's a prophet or not. He says, I don't believe she is. However, her writings have impacted me in a way I've never been impacted before. And then he says, when it comes to the basic foundational truths of salvation, I have not yet read a clearer work. Now, when it comes to to things like this, he says, says she's a... Oh, what's the word? I think he's used rejuvenate or something like that. That means uh, born again. She says she's a lovely born again Christian. And everyone who's known her can know that she was true to, she truly believed what she was and she did live a life of a prophet. Now you've got to kind of uh, add C.S. Lewis's trilemma to this. You know, people say, oh, Jesus wasn't God. He was just a good guy. Well, that can't be because good guys don't lie. Yeah? Good guys wouldn't deceive millions. If he's a liar, he's not a good guy, is he? Maybe he's insane and really believes he's God. Or maybe he is God. You can't have Jesus just being a good guy. He's either a liar, insane, or really who he is. You can apply the same thing to this Walter Martin statement. Ellen White, was she really a good Christian and lie about who she is? Can she be a true born-again Christian and lie about who you are and deceive, deceive millions? Champion, thank you. I I played violin for nine years. I despise these stands. But do you see what I was saying when it comes to the trilemma in Ellen White? Can she truly be a nice Christian lady and lie? No. Maybe she was insane and really thought she was a prophet. Or maybe she was what she says she was. Do you see the kind of contradiction? (laughs) 
number one under there. It says, there is a deep significance to this text, especially these two characteristics, the law and the what? These two go what? Hand in hand. This theme is consistent throughout the scriptures. And we are going to look at a few texts to establish this. Are you ready for it? Yeah. Let's do this. Psalms chapter 78. What chapter of Psalms? Alright, Psalms chapter 78 and verse 5. For he established a what? And appointed a what? Law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should make them known to their children. He did what? Appointed the prophetic gift and with that comes what? The law. Let's look at another reference. Acts chapter 24. Acts chapter 24 and verse 14. What chapter of Acts? And we're doing verse 14. And it reads, But this I confess to you, that according to the way which they... What? Who's got New King James? Call a sect. Call a cult. Let, let, let's get some context here. Uh, we really need to read this. Um, let's do verse 10. Start from verse 10. This is powerful. What is it? Powerful. You'll see it. It says, Then Paul, starting in verse 10, after the governor had nodded to him to speak, answered, Inasmuch as I know that you have been for many years a judge over this nation, I do the more cheerfully answer for myself. Because you may ascertain that it is no more than 12 days since I went up to Jerusalem to worship, and they neither found me in the temple disputing with anyone, nor inciting the crowd, either in the synagogues or in the city, nor can they prove the things which they now accuse me. He's been accused of something which they just can't prove. <laughs> Ain't the devil weird like that? He's got no case, yet he's willing to go to trial. Verse 14, But this I confess, that according to the way which they call a sect or a cult, so I worship the God of my Father. What they call a cult? Yeah, that's me. That's how I worship a cult. What, I, I worship God the way that they say a cult worships God. How is that? Um, believing all things which are written in the law and the prophets. He was called a member and the leader of the cults, or of a cult, because he believed everything in the Bible. The law and the prophets. The what? Law and the prophets. Seventh-day Adventists, you're such a cult, you believe in all the Bible. Do you see the irony? Yeah. It's tragic. Um, let's move on to the next section. Um, C. C. I was about to say C, C, but yeah. I did just say that, didn't I? However, God's people rebelled against what? Take a look at Nehemiah chapter 9. Can we get some big loud voice to read this for us? Nehemiah chapter what? Nine. Nine. Big loud voice. It doesn't have to be big, it can just be loud. Yeah, go for it. Check this out now. What happened once they got rid of the law? They turned against the prophets and did what to them? Once they got rid of the law, they did what? Killed the prophets. And you read the story, the prophetic ministry was removed from them. They rebel against the law. The prophetic ministry was removed from them. What happened when they rebelled against the law? 
the prophetic ministry was moved from them. Let's do Isaiah 30 really quick. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 10. Let's see if we can somehow see how this relates to these days. Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10. This is people having a bit of a whine because people tend to whine. And we like to laugh at these Bible people, but then I look at my life, I'm like, Lord, I spent a lot of my Christian life whining. It's like I could have done so much in the whining time. (laughs) Anyway, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 10. Who say to the seers, what's a seer, by the way? A prophet. So we know that we're all a body of, yeah, we're the body of Christ. When it comes to a church, what body part would a prophet be? The eyes. It is God's mouth, our eyes. It's God's spokesman. He calls him a seer. But just something interesting. There's not really anything solid there. Anyway, verse 10. Who say to the seers or the prophets, do not see. And to the prophets, do not prophesy. What? Write things. Speak to us smooth things. Prophesy what? Man, I hate reading the writings of Ellen White. She's so, she's so straight. Every time I read her writings, I just feel guilty. Do you have any idea how many times I've heard that? Guilt is a good thing. <laughs> no, I'm not kidding. I don't enjoy reading her writings because it, it, I just feel bad after it. The Bible is very clear. The work of the Holy Spirit is to convict us of sin, convict us of righteousness and of judgment. What does that mean? The Bible sometimes words stuff in a way that's difficult for us to comprehend. Essentially, the Bible says the Holy Spirit will show us what's wrong. It'll show us what's right. And it'll bring us to a point where we have to decide whether we're going to do what's wrong or right. It'll bring us to a point of judgment. And if you're reading her writings and you're seeing your condition and seeing how much you actually need Christ, praise God. That's a confirmation to me rather than a disputation against the people rebelled against the law and in doing so God did what remove the prophetic gift D God warned that their apostasy would not go unpunished but if they continue to reject his law he would do what Remove the prophetic ministry from their midst and leave them to delusions. Pardon me. Yeah, leave them to delusions which they have chosen. Under there, I have given you texts and references to find out and see where people have rebelled against the law of God. And God has just been like, oh, okay. I'm not speaking to you. Remember David? Uh, Sorry, not David. Uh, Saul. God's not speaking to me. Not through dreams, not through the Urim and Thummim, not through the prophets. Was he faithful at that point? We see this pattern when people rebel against the law of God, God just removes the prophetic gift. It's like, okay, I'm not talking. And then he's like, okay, if you won't say, Lord, your will be done, I as God will say, okay, your will be done. God just lets us have what we want. And then when we get that, we're like, what kind of God are you? That makes no sense. Now check this pattern out. Check this pattern out. Israel, we see it through and through. The people rebel against God and get rid of the law. And God's like, okay, there goes the prophetic ministry. The people reform. They do what? And come back to the law. And guess what pops up among them? Huh? A prophet. It's restored. We see this pattern. I've got the text there for you. We just have like five minutes. I need to go through this. So you grasp this principle. When we rebel against the law of God, God removes the prophetic ministry from us. When it's restored, 
the prophetic gift is restored. What happened during, what happened at the point of the first church? Was the prophetic ministry among them? Yes. Paul just said, hey, if I'm a cult because I believe in the law and the prophets, then hey, yeah, okay, I'm the leader of that cult. I don't care what you call it. I'm still going to be faithful. They had prophecy among them. Then something happened to that church. I say this and often people get disturbed by it. The Catholic church at one point was that true church. It wasn't called the Catholic church. It was just called the church. Because there was no Baptist church or Pentecostal church or Lutheran church or Orthodox or Catholic. It was all the true church. But then something happened. Things started, people started rebelling against God's way. We started thinking, hey, maybe it's me who's doing all these great things. Look at all the benefits I could get if I could just get the people to pay me more. Look how rich we could get if we actually told people that if they give us money, they can be freed from hell. Do you know what? Let's get rid of the law. And what was removed? The prophetic ministry was removed. I've heard people say, oh, there must have been prophets who come up. No, I don't believe so. If people are rebelling against God, God's plain. Okay, you reject me. You can have what you want. I'm not going to force my way in there. But you want to return? You want to start seeking me? I'll bring up someone to help you. Reformation takes place. Oh, stories of the Reformation. Yeah! You want to get pumped up and feel ashamed at the same time? (laughs) Read the stories of the Reformation. Powerful man, Luther, Wycliffe, just like, I don't care, I want to know what's truth. Coming towards the Reformation. The Millerite movement. And then the Advent movement, we're like, man, we got to stop figuring out. No way. The law still. We want truth. We want to serve God. We want to come back to that law. And when God's people come to this state, what ought we expect? The prophetic ministry to be restored. This is a consistent pattern throughout Scripture. And we ought to be expecting, we ought to be looking when there's that genuine reformation to the law of God being united, that He will restore what? The prophetic ministry. The what ministry? This is only two points of about 40 something of why we ought to be expecting a prophet in later times. We're going to go through a few more tomorrow. Have, are there any questions before we wrap up? Anyone? No questions? I was mentioning to someone, studies in Andrews have been done. Andrews University has done a study of the correlation between spiritual growth, obedience, and sharing your faith. The correlation between doing these things and reading the writings of Ellen White. They have found that... (laughs) 85% of people who read Ellen White's writings regularly have morning devotions consistently. They have found that only 35%, I believe, of those who don't read have morning devotions. They have found that 75% of people who read her writings regularly are eager to go out and share their faith. They have found that 12% of the people who don't want to. They have found that 60% more Seventh-day Adventists who read the writings of the prophet desire to live in an obedient Christ-like life. 60% more for those who read these writings. The point of the prophet, she herself says, I'm a lesser light leading to the greater light. Hey, if there's a prophet telling you that there's something wrong in the Bible, they're a false one. The law and the prophets. I'm just going to share this real quick. We'll wrap it up. When going through the pastoral program, we have to read all nine testimonies through and the Bible cover to cover and a whole bunch of other books. I used to read in uh, 
three-hour settings, four sometimes. Um, I'll tell you what, this was a three-hour spanking. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm an all right Christian. And I go and read these testimonies, and I'm not kidding, it's just like, <laughs> yeah. and I'm just like, oh, oh, oh. And then she always finishes with hope. It's like, but you know what? God can help you. So I'm just like, yeah, you're getting beaten up. And it's like, oh, let me help you. <laughs> let me help you. And I'm just beaten up. And then hope beaten up, hope beaten up. I'll tell you, I, I just fell in love with God and realized what he can actually do for me through reading these testimonies. Let me share something very quick. She says specifically the testimonies of the church are written. They are God's voice to the church. The conflict of ages is for the world. Great controversy, steps of Christ, desire of ages, acts of the apostles, prophets and kings, steps of Christ. These are for outreach purposes. It's the testimonies of the church that are for me. Now she also says, I am not to read the testimonies and come to you. And you'd be like, you know what, sister, why is the testimonies of you? Is that egg on your table? We're not to do that. It is for me to sit and be like, Lord, what do you need me to change in my life? And let the Lord work in your life. Let him reach your heart. Let him use the prophet for what he gave it for. I challenge you, please get yourself a copy of the testimonies or for $20, go to the ABC, get all the writings of Ellen White. They're on there. Or you can read them for free online. Challenge yourself. It's okay to feel ashamed because when we come into a contact with Christ and we see what He is compared to us, we ought to be ashamed of ourselves and be proud in Christ alone. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank You so much for not giving us blind faith. Thank You so much for not giving us or requiring from us to have faith in this lady without ever giving us um, reasons to believe that there will be a prophet in this time. Thank you that we can see that we ought to be expecting uh, the prophetic ministry restored to us around the time of 1844. And we thank you for restoring it to us so that we can see and learn how to be more obedient to you. Not out of works, but because we see what we are. We see who you are. We see what you've done for us and we see what you deserve. Lord, may the Spirit work in our lives, reveal to us what our spiritual gift is, that we may truly minister to our brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name we ask these things. Amen.